Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. This is an RNZ podcast. This week, The Goldfinch proves once again how hard it is to turn art into a movie. The Goldfinch. Before and after. Everything is before and after. In the middle is the painting. Dora and the Lost City of Gold takes an explorer out of her comfort zone. Dora, this isn't the jungle. It's high school. It's life or death. Keep a low profile. Just be yourself. Uh, excuse me? I'm kind of stuck. And scary stories to tell in the dark. Where else? In an old dark house. Some kids went missing, so they boarded it up. Okay, we saw it. Should we go now? Who ordered the chicken? Hello, I'm Simon Morris. The other day, I met an improv performer called Lyndon Hood, whose latest show, or rather the title of whose latest show, is a work of genius. I've already gone on record saying that just about every New Zealand film would benefit from the addition of a car chase and a ticking clock before the end. Well, I think every movie in the world should pay attention to the title of Lyndon's show. It's called The Exciting Battle Between a Goodie and a Baddie That Almost Ends Badly But Ends Happily. Well, that's pretty much every decent story ever, isn't it? Fencing, fighting, torture, revenge, giants, monsters, chases, escapes, true love, miracles. Doesn't sound too bad. I'll try and stay awake. Oh, well, thank you very much. Very nice of you. Except Hollywood seems to have forgotten that. If ever a dream factory was scrabbling about like someone who can't find his car keys, it's this year's dream factory. An industry entirely based on stories and storytelling looks like it's quite literally lost the plot. So it's been relying on existing stories that have worked in the past or asking their friends down at the toy store. Do you honestly think your little band of sock puppets stands a chance here? It's probably better if you just go back where you belong. Soon who you are. Are we really not good enough for the big world? No, our flaws make us unique. Ew. Those are all worth fighting for. Open up their eyes. 
The popular Ugly Dolls line, cutely offbeat looking plush dolls for any latecomers, was just sitting there. So Grandpa Hollywood got in touch with some scriptwriter friends and told them to come up with an hour and a half of story, constructed almost entirely from naval fluff. I believe you could hear the writer's screams of agony across the valley. And these days, the answer to the question, where do stories come from, is quite often calls like that. Are you a writer, Mr. Bank? Actually, I'm writing for the pictures now. Oh, it's an exciting time, then. <gasps> is that him? Is that Bob Fink? Say whatever the hell you want. The writer is king here at Capital Pictures. Someone in a Hollywood studio reads about a popular TV show for little kids or a young adult series of books that's very much on trend this year or even Wonder of Wonders, an actual book for adults that's won a big prize and ended up on the front cover of something. Maybe there's a movie in there somewhere. Oh, you'll lick this picture business, believe me. you got a head on your shoulders. And what is it they say? Where there's a head, there's hope. I'm sitting in the audience. The lights go down. Capital logo comes up. The trouble is, sometimes there is and sometimes there isn't, or at least not one that doesn't require a deceptively extensive amount of work to get it up on the screen. Well, this week, three movies all based on hit properties from elsewhere, but all with that all-important brand recognition. There's Dora the Explorer, a popular TV hit with Tiny Tots a few years ago, about a six-year-old Latina girl called Dora and her adventures in the jungle with her cousin Diego, her monkey Boots, and you. Dora was very big on audience participation. Dora, it's time for dinner. If you think you know Dora... Delicioso! Can you say delicioso? She'll grow out of it. Think again. Dora and the Lost City of Gold keeps some of that and then reimagines her ten years later, aimed at... Well, I'm not quite sure who it's aimed at. Less drastic are the changes made to a popular young adult franchise called Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. I'm afraid that we woke something up. You shouldn't have taken the book. It takes a producer like Guillermo del Toro to turn a collection of creepy campfire yarns into something resembling a movie. But first, a film based on an acclaimed Pulitzer Prize-winning novel, The Goldfinch. To lose something that should have been immortal. Please tell me it isn't true. The track record of films based on generally accepted great novels is patchy at best. It's become a cliché that while any amount of great movies have come from average novels, The Godfather and Jaws leap unbidden to mind, the reverse is very rarely true. Classic novels seldom travel, partly because the secret of their success is their great writing. In Amsterdam, I dreamt I saw my mother again. Same beautiful pale blue eyes. 
take the skill of author Donna Tart out of the adaptation of her prize-winning The Goldfinch and you're left with the bald plot and characters. And in the case of this plot and these characters, they need some help along the way. When I lost her... I lost sight of any landmark that might have led me someplace happier. Understandably, this production wants to favour its big star, teen favourite Ansel Elgort, last seen in Baby Driver, over the 12-year-old actor playing the young Theo Decker. So to maximise Ansel's screen time, the story travels backwards and forwards in time from one crucial event. You're the boy, are you? The boy whose mother was killed. That event is a visit to an art gallery with Theo's beloved mother. Mum wanders off briefly while Theo lingers to look at a famous painting of a goldfinch, Mum's favourite. Which is where he is when a bomb goes off in the next room, killing several people, including his mother. We're just trying to build little bits of the puzzle. What do you remember about the incident? I like this one. Look at the map. Where were you when it happened? I don't remember. So one story goes forward from there. Theo's deadbeat father takes off and Theo is fostered by a nice upper-middle-class family led by matriarch Nicole Kidman. And his two prized possessions after the explosion are a tightly wrapped parcel and a ring with two names engraved on it. Oh, Bert. And Blackwell. It's like he sent me exactly where I needed to be and to who I needed to be with. Meanwhile, the story looking backwards attempts to discover precisely what happened on the day of the explosion. Theo compulsively blames himself for his mother's death. If it wasn't for him, they wouldn't have been at the gallery. He stayed behind to look at the painting The Goldfinch with an attractive little red-headed girl, maybe if he'd left with his mother. We all feel afraid sometimes. You never know what's going to decide your future. So one story reaches into the future, a narrative that travels to Las Vegas, Amsterdam and back to New York before it's finished and includes Russian emigres, crooked and or violent parents, drugs and, yes, even car chases. And the other keeps scratching at the wound of, essentially, one minute in the past. Is your mother dead too? Yes. I know you were there, and I know what else was in that room. Included in that minute are the red-headed girl and her soon-to-be late father, Mr Blackwell. He runs an antique shop with his partner, Hobie Hobart, played by Geoffrey Wright. The goldfish. Before and after. Everything is before and after. In the middle is the painting. 
A novel like The Goldfinch is essentially a literary one. Long, a bit rambling and discursive, beautifully written. You dip into it every night and take your time getting from one set piece to another. That's not how a movie works, though, and as this goldfinch trudges through its 140-odd minutes, it's all too easy to spot the holes in the plot when you fall into them. Maybe sometimes good can come from bed. There's really only one way to turn a great big novel into a movie, and that's throw out everything that doesn't fit. But fans of a well-loved book like The Goldfinch will be furious if you miss out their favourite scenes, even if they unfairly blame you when the end result is unwieldy. Even the tiniest things mean something. Who took the pain? I thought everything would be broken forever. Director John Crowley, writer Peter Strawn, and particularly the great cinematographer Roger Deakins do their best with Donatart's novel, but they've probably been too loyal to the original material. Alfred Hitchcock famously read his novels once and then forgot about them and started again. He was hated by the novelists, but audiences loved him. I would have given it back, I swear. My TV-watching days somehow managed to bypass the Dora the Explorer years. I remember the name, the power of a good rhyming title, but I know nothing more than it was about Dora and she went in for exploring. I suspect the creators of the film version may not have done a lot more research than me. You know the jungle. It's a part of you. But exploring is not a game. And you don't look before you leap. The original series started on TV's Nickelodeon channel about 20 years ago and followed the adventures of a little Hispanic girl as she and her pet monkey Boots explored the jungle. There's a talking backpack, a kleptomaniac fox called Swiper and a song for every occasion. Well, some of this stays in the film Dora and the Lost City of Gold. We're on to something big, Dora. An ancient city made of gold. Parapata. And your mother and I are going to prove it. And me. I'm sorry, sweetie, you're not going. The new brief for the film is to aim it at young high schoolers now, so the sooner we get Dora away from her parents in the jungle, no longer generic but now located in Peru, the better. She's sent to Hollywood, California by her parents, where she meets up again with her cousin Diego. Cousin Diego, you're so skinny and tall. You are way more energetic than I remember. I'm not sure why four is the magic number for teen friends in this sort of story, whether it's Jumanji or Scooby-Doo, but that's what happens here. Dora may be an odd one out oddball, but within minutes she's teamed up with Ernest Cousin Diego, Goofy Randy and Haughty Sammy. Dora, this isn't the jungle. It's high school. It's life or death. Keep a low profile. Just be yourself. And just be cool, Dora. Okay, what is this? Oh! They're on a school trip to a museum when they get separated from the group. 
Hola, Dora, says a sinister attendant who looks for all the world like Tim Morrison. Here's the scavenger hunt list. Team up in groups of four. Hola, Dora. Let me go! You'll help us find your parents and the lost city of gold. It is Tim Morrison, one of the few non-Latino actors in the film. Dora and her new super friends are gassed, thrown into an aeroplane, and when they wake up, they find they're in a rather familiar-looking jungle. The villains of the piece are mercenaries, boo, mercenaries, led by Tim and also a masked fox called Swiper. Wait, what? Where are we? All I see is jungle. I see three mercenaries armed. Oh, look. Dora brought a knife on the field trip, everybody. Come with me if you want to live. No sooner can you say, don't worry about it, when an excitable new character arrives. Alejandro, a friend of Dora's parents, who invites Dora to find Mum and Dad on their treasure hunt and then be sent back to Hollywood. I work with your parents. You're all in danger. We're going to die out here. There's no need to overreact. Ah! Ah! Get it off! Get it off! The story of Dora and the Lost City of Gold is pretty much built into the title. There's a lost city of the Incas tucked away in the back of the Peruvian jungle and made, rather impractically, out of gold. Dora's parents have a map and they know where it is. By the way, Michael Peña and Eva Longoria are having a very good time. Being in the city around kids your own age, like Diego, might help. So you're going to get invited to some of these parties called raves. The music sounds like this. Go get it! Be careful. That's what we want to say. The mercenaries and Swiper the Fox want to swipe the treasure. Now, I should point two things out here. First, cues for Dora and the Lost City of Gold aren't exactly reaching round the blocks, and maybe the film was spreading its net too wide. Teens or tiny tots? Pick one. <gasps> of course, she knows this monkey. And second, I found myself regularly amused. Director James Bobbin was the man behind the Flight of the Concords series, and his attitude on this gig is, if you can't amuse everyone, you might as well at least amuse yourself. It's often very funny. Quick, Sandra! Don't panic. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> I eat chili con carne. <laughs> And the young cast, led by Isabella Monair as Dora, are all hard-working and appealing. The film is a potentially blatant example of cashing in on a popular title. It is called Dora and the Lost City of Gold, after all. But nobody disgraces themselves and no audience will feel ripped off. Or swiped, as Dora might say. The jungle is perfectly safe. Ah, ah, not safe! Seriously, you had that in your backpack too? Where do stories come from? In the case of another film for teens, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, they came from a popular series of books written by a chap called Alvin Schwartz. As the title suggests, the stories in the books are the sort of spooky tales that kids love to scare the bejeepers out of themselves with, particularly around Halloween. Some people believe if we repeat stories often enough, they become real. 
but where did Alvin Schwartz get them from? Well, it turns out he used to spend years researching ancient folklore and traditional tales, both at home in the States and in Europe, before compiling them in his books and antagonising school librarians around the country. And now producer Guillermo del Toro has harnessed their power in the first movie of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Listen, you're in the next story. We're reading it right here. It's a corpse looking for her missing toe. Where I understand the book form is simply a collection of unrelated short blood-curdling stories, Del Toro has constructed a narrative tying them together as a group of teenagers, you've guessed it, there are four of them, set off on their probably last year of Halloween trick-or-treating. And leader of the pack is would-be writer Stella. They make us who we are. That can be scary. Eat it, Harold. Stella's friends are Chuck, Augie and newcomer Ramon. And to add a little extra resonance to the narrative, Scary Tales is set in late 1960s Pennsylvania. Drive-in movies, President Nixon and the Ascendant and the Vietnam War all over the TV. Tell me a story. On Halloween night, the gang go to the local haunted house, one-time home of the legendary Sarah Bellows. Even nearly a hundred years later, Sarah's notoriety precedes her. Do you want to see a haunted house? Some kids went missing, so they boarded it up. Okay, we saw it. Can we go now? Who ordered the chicken? Inside the old dark house, Stella stumbles on a mysterious handwritten book. She leaps through it and sees chapters with titles like The Dead Man's Brains, The Cat's Paw and The Ghost in the Mirror. What's that? It's a book of scary stories. Like an idiot, Stella encourages the ghost of Sarah Bellows and lives to regret it. She takes the book home, only to discover it tends to have a mind of its own. Stories start to write themselves in it, often with familiar names in leading roles. People like local bully Tommy, who the next day goes missing. Hey, what's going on? Tommy's missing. Tommy's name was in the book. There's no way it's actually connected, right? Okay, what if what happens in the book is exactly what's happened for real? Oh, my God. Every night, a new scary story, each one getting closer to home. And the monsters are well imagined, from the rangy and acrobatic to the slow and inexorable, with a plague of spiders thrown in for people who don't like that sort of thing. Sarah Bellows's book, where the stories write themselves and it all comes alive. The presence of producer-writer Guillermo del Toro and Norwegian director Andre Ovredel, who made the creepy, funny Troll Hunter, adds a certain assurance to the proceedings. There's clearly some thought going on to bolster up the scares. This town has told stories about me. Horrible stories. 
they don't realize. I have scary stories of my own. The backstory of Sarah Bellows holds the film together, and there's even a timely ecological message tucked in behind the gore. The performances of the young cast are good, especially Zoe Margaret Coletti as Stella, and there's a strong hint at a sequel at the end that unusually feels organic to the story, rather than just another bite at the cherry. You don't read the book. The book reads you. There are certainly enough loose ends around to justify a return, though my own enthusiasm for scary stories in the dark is pretty much exhausted by the first film. But like most of the films this week, it's better than it could have been, even if it's not quite as good as the creators were hoping. But isn't everything? And on that unanswerable question, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.